Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you be with us this morning. We ask that your word be made alive to us. We ask that your um, spirit be with us, that our hearts will be open to receive what you would tell us this morning. Thank you for this time together. We pray that it's profitable. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. We are, what are the odds, in Leviticus? 166. <laughs> and we're in chapter 23, steadily moving through the book. Last week, um, well, the past several weeks, chapters 21 and 22, we were working through what the commandments were, what the regulations were on uh, the, the, that focused on the Lord's holy things, priests, food portions from the offerings and the offerings themselves. This chapter actually gets us into a little bit of a, an insight toward the calendar year for the Israelites. We're going, we're going to start going to take it two weeks, but we're going to go through the feasts in, uh, of the calendar year of, of the Israelites. And it starts, this chapter starts weekly, then moves annually. And uh, the, these special times, these special days, <clears throat> we'll see are divided between the first half of the year and the second half of the year. And they carry a common theme. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. They, they were to be times of rest, remembrance, and rejoicing. See, rest, remembrance, and rejoicing. All right. Let's, uh, let's start with uh, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord, in all your dwelling places. So God here is introducing holy times, holy days for the people, and He starts with what? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Why would He start there? Is this an annual thing, the Sabbath? The, the answer is no. Uh, the shaking of the head, wondering why I asked the question. It's, it's obvious that it's a weekly deal. Why would it be a week. Why would he start here? Why wouldn't he start with you know the Day of Atonement or some some other Passover? We'll get to next. Why wouldn't he start with a big day? Why start with this weekly festival, Day of Rest thing? What's going on there? What's what's the big deal to the Israelites about having a Sabbath every every week? I think it sets the tone for. The other feast that's coming up, you know, once you're starting small, you're starting with the every day or the every week, mm -hmm. and then you're cycling up to the bigger things. So you kind of have to get first things first. Right. What is this? What is this image? The seventh day of rest. What What does it bring to mind? Was it creation? And completion, creation, and it's imaging uh, or reminding them that God is creator. And how he set up from the very beginning a six-day work cycle, seventh-day rest. We, we talked about this back in Exodus when we went through the ten, uh, ten uh, suggestions, um, which was not ten suggestions. Uh, but it was, the, it was the idea that um, 
that there that there is a completion that there other people other cultures have tried to do this differently i think in russia communist russia they tried to do a a thing of um like a 10-day work week it failed as usually everything in russia fails but but that but that failed horribly they were trying to reinvent the created order the whole thing and it just it was awful uh i think more vodka was sold during that time than any anyway uh it was a it was it was a bad deal, but God set this up for them. Uh, it's a sign of God's covenant relationship with the people. Uh, it reaffirmed weekly that God that that and proclaimed God as Creator. He uses the term solemn rest in the ESV. The NASB has complete rest. Uh, what does that tell you about this day? Complete rest. What kind of activities are scheduled? Nothing. Nothing. Of all the holy days, the Sabbath was the most um, strict in limiting work on that day. Other, other days we'll see that there could be some limited stuff, but every week they were to do nothing, no work. Um, there were some exceptions, obviously, with, within reason, but the idea is no work at all, and it's from the greatest, most skilled work to the most menial day labor stuff. It's all to be suspended for the Sabbath. Um, why would this day of complete rest be significant to the Israelites? What do you think? Well, they just came out of Egypt where they were slaves and were forced to work and work very hard, probably seven days a week. Probably no rest as a slave in Egypt. And here, their covenant king mandates as a day of remembrance to him as a day of, of, uh, of, of obedience to him mandates their rest. What does that tell you about God? Very gracious and cares for his people. Yeah. Honor me by something that blesses you. Right? He, he bakes into the covenant, so to speak, uh, a, a, a mandate for them, you worship me by resting. Um, their covenant king demands rest as their proclamation of loyalty to him. How typical of the grace of God to command loyalty in a way that benefits his people with rest and refreshment. So we see here in this first day, the Sabbath, the weekly day, or a week, weekly day, a weekly feast, um, a couple of elements. Rest, We'll see that with the other days. And we also see what else? A holy what? What's going on there? Convocation. convocation. What is a convocation? Assembly. An assembly. So they're to rest, and they're to rest together. Right? And that's, and that's you're going to see that throughout all of them. Um, he talks about them being my appointed feasts. Each time, each of these holy times has a unique focus but they all bring out some aspect of who God is or what He has done for His people. The holy convocations, or, or some translations have holy gatherings. Not only were they to assemble at these times, but these feasts were to set them apart as a holy people. This is to become part of their culture. We gather together to celebrate resting as our loyalty, in, in our loyalty to the covenant king. They were not to work, they were to rest, and they were to rest together. All right. Um, is it different today? I mean, 
we're on a 24-hour news cycle. We're got cell phones are constantly accessible to clients every day. Needs happen. It's different, but it's not different. Okay, in what way? Well, I think we're all supposed to rest. Resting together is is difficult. Resting together is difficult. Yes. Is it because we're honorary? It's difficult to rest around people, or or what? What's the difference? It's not mandated by society. Okay. So I mean, Chick Fil A is closed on Sunday, but everything else is open, and so a lot of people have to work over the weekends, which means their day of rest cannot be Sunday. Yeah, and the other side of that is they have a job that they can earn as well. So you have a balance there of not mandating you know, rest. It allows some people work where they may not have it. So there, there is that. Um, is that the rest that is... Well, Jesus said Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? Um, is that the rest or the Sabbath rest that's in view in the New Testament? Well, not really. It's the small rest. The big rest is that we don't have to work for our salvation. Okay. That we rest in Christ because He performed the work. Right. Right. So this, what we're doing today really isn't necessary. No, very much is. Very much is. Not necessary for salvation. Okay. We're not getting kicked out of the kingdom because we don't come on Sunday morning to hear some guy drone on about Leviticus. It is something else that's involved here, right? All right, keep that in mind. There's still the, the aspect of meeting, though. Right. On the first day of the week as they did in the New Testament. So it's a traditional thing that we carry on from that first century. No, but Paul, you know, we, we also looked in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews Why, yes, also we, said... Apollos that uh, don't, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. He did. He did. So if you think of rest as uh, rejuvenation, uh-huh. we're supposed to rejuvenate ourselves reading the Word every day, kind of by ourselves like we do sleeping at night. Okay. But then on Sunday, the Sabbath, we rejuvenate ourselves in a, in a bigger form together. Okay. So there's a, there's a, there's a statement in, in Hebrews by Apollos. Uh, <laughs> That, that that is uh, I disagree with Calvin. Uh, that that uh, I know it's crazy, but I'm also a Baptist, so there are pretty, there's more significant things we disagree on. Um, so th- there's a statement in Hebrews about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Um, okay, well let's let's put put a pin in that, and we'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, each of the following. Uh, annual holy times is a is a feast of rest, like we said, and so really the whole year, the whole year is characterized by this idea of Sabbath rest. The whole year, um, and it serves as a constant reminder of the covenant with with Yahweh. All right, so the first half of the year, we're going uh, to see this morning that there's Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, and uh, offering of the first fruits, and the festival of weeks. And those would have taken place at the first of their calendar year, which the smart folks tell us is uh, March through June, that springtime for them. And then the last half of the year would be the Day of Trumpet Blasts, which we'll get to next week, the Day of Atonement, the Festival of Booths, uh, and then there's a closing assembly with the Festival of Booths. And those were held from September to October, 
So six months out of the year had some annual feast featuring rest and assembly of the people. All right, let's look at four through eight. The first feast or feasts that are mentioned, Passover and unleavened bread. Verse four, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Verse 4 repeats kind of the themes of the chapter that we saw in verse in verses 1 and 2. And, and it's, a, it's a kind of a way of introducing these annual events. So when are they to hold this Passover feast? When are they to do that? Beginning of the year. Fourteenth day. day. Why would they have this first? What do you think? Why would this be the first annual feast that they celebrate? It's a reminder of where they've come from. It's a reminder of where they've come from. And where do you just so we're all on the same page? Where do you bring them from? I ended on a preposition. Where do you bring them from? Egypt, bondage. Egypt, bondage, slavery. So God delivers them out of these out of this great slavery, this great bondage. And pulls them out. And what were they? What? How did he just rehearse it? What did he do? We'll just do a little review here on in Exodus. He he did the ten plagues. Tenth plague was firstborn. Kill the firstborn unless you have the the blood of the sacrificial Passover lamb on the doorpost. It's very you know it's totally unrelated to the New Testament. Um, so you have this thing where the death angel comes and he's going to kill the firstborn of every you know. Uh, uh, of, of the families, of the livestock, all of that's going to die, uh, all the way up to Pharaoh's house, which does happen. And so, um, unless the mark of the sacrificial lamb is on the door, the doorposts of the house, right? And so he does this, and, and what were they to have? How were they to be dressed? PJs, lounging around in the one-piece, like, Democrat, you know, Man in his basement suit with the coffee, you know, the whole onesie thing the kid wears. What were they to be in? Ready to go. They were Ready to go with what? I mean, clothes and. They were to be dressed. Unleavened bread. They were to have unleavened bread and. Roasted lamb. Ro well, they were to eat all the lamb, the roasted lamb. And then they were to have their staffs ready to go, right? I mean, they were ready to march. So the unleavened bread was there. Um, they start their year declaring that Yahweh is a God who saves. That's how they start their year. He saves. And then, um, on its heels of Passover, the next day they start this second feast, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is what they ate at Passover when they're leaving. That's what they had. Didn't have time for the yeast to rise. It's time to run now. Time to go. Marching out. In ancient, cult in ancient culture, especially uh, Israeli, Israeli, Israelite culture, thank you, um, a festival was a, common, a community celebration 
that involves sacrifices and shared meals in honor of a deity. Feast here means pilgrimage. It has that connotation of a pilgrimage. And, and this is anticipating what's going to happen when they come into the land where they all come in to Jerusalem, right? That, that's the place where they're all going to be going. Um, the, the, there are three feasts of the year that have this idea of uh, or this call to the Israelite males to come in and celebrate in the sanctuary, at the temple, at the tabernacle. They're to be there. And it's as representatives of the family, they're to be there. Practically, the families came with them, but the guys are supposed to go. And this is one of those feasts. Um, unleavened bread, they make a pilgrimage. Um, and what's the purpose of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? If Passover is to remember that the Lord saves, why would they have this Feast of Unleavened Bread? What do you think? The brain power in this room, the lights are dimming, it's amazing. You're all thinking hard. Well, why, would they, why, would, why would Unleavened Bread be here? Why do this for seven days? No. I mean, if you just had the one day, okay, yeah, we remember and we go on. But right. But you've got it, and for an extended period of time, you you have to sit and think and you contemplate. Okay, what is what does this mean? Yeah, this is a remembrance thing. Remember what he's done, and they started with on the first day a convocation. Everybody comes together. This is what we're doing. We're all together remembering. We're going to eat flat bread for seven days. So they eat flatbread for seven days, and then at the end of it, they have another convocation. Hey, we ate flatbread for seven days, and they're remembering what God did for them in the Exodus. It forces them to take time off, to set aside time to remember what the Lord has done for them, what He brought them out of, completely unrelated to the New Testament. Right? Give me credit. I know, it's, it's, it's amazing that they even stick the two books together sometime. It's, I don't know what they're thinking, these publishers. <laughs> it shares a purpose with the, pes, uh, with the Passover to remember the Lord's deliverance from bondage. For seven days they ate the food they had eaten after being delivered. All right. <clears throat> Redemption is the issue here. With the unleavened bread and with the Passover together, the idea is they start the, the year off remembering their redemption. Does it kind of, since it's seven days, is it kind of a, Yeah, there's, a com, there's an idea of completeness there. Again, it harkens back to the creative order and, and uh, that you're completely redeemed. You are now covenant people with God because of His work of salvation. Um, curious thing, and completely random, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection happened during this period. It happened at Passover, happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Just freeing them from bondage. Freeing from bondage, you know, complete, you know, redemption of his people. Happened, just complete, again, I think they just kind of tacked it on. Um, there it is. All right, look in verse 9. We'll go to the next feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. 
and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with its with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And that was probably not fermented wine. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. What is this? When could this be celebrated? When could a feast of first fruits of crops be celebrated? When you had first fruits. Any chance of them having that now? Remember when Leviticus was written and given to the people, were they in a place to plant crops? You got to be settled. So what's implicit in the statute? Again, God's provision of a land to plant crops and to have these kinds of harvests, right? You start out with, I brought you from here, I'm going to take you here. And when you get there, this is what you do, right? When you're traveling, you don't have time to plant crops and wait for them to grow. Um, and I mean, it's not like Minecraft. It, does, it takes longer to grow these crops. And ask Nathaniel. He was so bitter. It's not done yet. It's 50 days, son. Just deal with it. All right. <laughs> There's a promise that he will lead them to the land. And when they are in the land, it was a reminder that, uh, of him keeping his promise. And it was an ongoing promise. This is a promise of provision, right? Who makes crops to grow? Jesus. So, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Still haven't figured out how that works. Know the process. Don't know why a seed germinates. Haven't figured out. Haven't been able to reproduce it apart from earth and stuff. Just throw that out there. All right. What else are they acknowledging with this action? What else are they acknowledging? They're giving him the first fruits of their crops. What's that? There's more to come. Okay, so he's, they're, they're thanking him for being provider, right? This is the first, so there's probably more to come. What else are they acknowledging? That he gave it to them. That he gave it to them. So it's his stuff. He's worth the very best. He's worth the very best. He's worth, he's worth the first of it. Right? Um, all right. Yahweh was their provider. He blessed them with crops they needed to survive by His grace. And also they're declaring that He was worthy of the best that they could give. What are the priests doing here? We're grabbing a bunch of wheat and barley and waving it. Why are we doing that? It's kind of a charismatic thing. What, is, what does that mean? What, why are they doing that? We've seen wave offerings before. And I don't mean when people go late coming in the room. You know. Why are they waving these sheaves? They're bringing in the sheaves and they're waving them. Isn't it a declaration? Didn't they do that for a land? Didn't like, uh, Abraham do that to declare? 
Have we seen wave offerings before? Part of the tabernacle, part of the tabernacle offerings, part of whenever the priest was getting a portion of meat, he would wave it to the Lord to dedicate it to the Lord, and then the Lord, by statute, would give it back to him, to the priest. So the priest, in waving it, is acknowledging this is God's, and He's giving it as my inherit, as my part of my inheritance, my portion. He's doing it on behalf of the person who's offering it, who's not a priest and can't do it himself. The offerer was also uh, to present a burnt offering. What, what do we know about burnt offerings? What, what were they generally for? Remember we did the first seven chapters, we talked about all these offerings, these five offerings. What, what was a burnt offering for? Do you remember? The burnt offering, uh, generally, because I'm sinful, but what was, the, what was the idea behind it? What did we want with a burnt offering? Two, two reasons, really. And I'll just go ahead. Uh, it was a, um, it was what? Pleasing aroma, so there's acceptance, right? Accept me. Um, and the other was for Thanksgiving. Sometimes burnt offerings used for Thanksgiving. So you have here a burnt offering that they're given. Uh, and they're also to give a grain offering, which is actually a double portion, two, two, tenths, two, ten, two tenths, yeah, two tenths of uh, an ephah, which I'll tell you from no personal knowledge whatsoever that that calculates to be between 17.6 and 32.6 cups or 5.6 to 10.2 pounds. I have no idea how they come up with this stuff. But apparently some very smart people are very settled on the fact that there's a range of weights and measures to do this stuff. And that's it. Just so you know, 10 pounds of, of, uh, of grain. They're also to offer a drink offering, a, a quarter of a hen. So just, which the smart folks say is 0.24 to 0.4 gallons. Just so you know, it's your next party. So you have meat, you have bread, you have drink. What do you have? A meal. a meal. And this is a meal that is an offering to the Lord. It represents a meal to God. Um, and He tells them that they could only eat their new crops after they had brought in this offering. What does that tell you? Why do you think He set it up that way? It's first fruits again. He gets the most important. Okay. It's honoring Him as it's honoring him as God. What else does it show? Not by their hands. But by Not by theirs, but by his. And in doing so, they're thankful, right? They're thankful. How easy it is. I think thankfulness is one of those very wispy emotions. It seems to evaporate very quickly, thankfulness. Um... Doing it this way ensured that they gave their king proper thanksgiving and honor before enjoying his generous provision. Do we have such a custom in the church today to ensure thankfulness? I can't... Sunday school, yes. We're so thankful that we have people bring, bring food in the morning. What the... The ordinances. Um, in, uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, 
We are told, thank you, thank you, my hair. Um, in 2 Corinthians, we are told that we are to give proportionately, regularly, and cheerfully, not under compulsion. For what purpose? For what purpose? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Our regular giving to the church is a reorientation toward thankfulness for the Lord's provision. It's all His stuff. It's all His stuff. And He grants it to us to use and live and provides for us. So we have the first feast being one of redemption, and the next feast being uh, a thankfulness for His provision. And this third uh, or fourth feast that we're going to look at looks toward His faithfulness in provision. Let's look at verse 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheath of the wave offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Let's stop right there for now. Okay. This is called the Festival of Weeks. And it actually goes by several different names throughout Scripture. You see the, the Festival of Weeks. You see the Festival of Harvest. Uh, Festival of Weeks in a, in a few places because it, it counts weeks from the previous offering, the offering of the first fruits. So you have Festival of Weeks. Festival of Harvest because it's, um, it, 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 is a, it celebrates the first fruits of the harvest. You know, you have first fruits of the crops coming in. And then you have the time of harvest where there's a lot of work bringing everything in. And then the first fruits of that work are then baked into two loaves and brought to the Lord. In the post-exile period of Israel, this feast is also known as Pentecost, which is after the Greek word for 50th. Um, and the purpose was to celebrate God's faithful provision in the coming in of the harvest. Completely unrelated. Just separated out. I mean, it just. I guess the binding is cheaper when you put them together, it's just less cost. Is that. Pentecost. Celebrating, thankfully, God's bringing in the harvest. Yes, sir. I just wanted to 
I've never understood this before, but like at Pentecost when Peter preaches and I think it's like 3,000 people are saved. Uh-huh. This is the first, you know, without glory of the Holy Spirit. Right. Stuff, is the harvest, is the beginning harvest to the spread of the gospel. That's exactly right. It just, it just, yeah. Really it's, again, it's eerie. <laughs> it's planned. It's just eerie. I'm just going to put it that way. Um, what are they to bring? What are they to bring? Two loaves of bread. Does anything about this bread strike you as odd as it relates to what they typically are to bring? Uh, How large are these loaves? Because you said two tenths of it, two tenths of each is ten pounds. Yeah. Ten pounds of grain per loaf. Yeah, it's pretty huge. Yeah, they're baked. But still, I mean, how many trash? How many pounds of grain? Grain do you usually put in a loaf? I don't know. I don't know. Again, this is. I mean, it's a couple pounds. So four, five pounds of grain would make it. So they're so they're big. It's a lot of bread, and it's leavened. What is up with that? Why is it leavened? We have time now. I thought that leaven was to be absolutely forbidden from being near the altar, from being offered. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Here, and we have another offering, uh, some of the peace offerings actually have leavened bread. And, And here it's done, it's waved, right? It's not put on the altar, it's waved, but it's given to the priest as their portion, these two massive loaves of bread. There was a kid story a long time ago about jelly jam, how to get rid of these infestation of wasps or whatever, and they made this big... Did y'all ever read Giant that? Giant jam sandwich. Giant jam sandwich, yeah. Where they, where they brought a truck in on a flatbed for the first piece of bread that they put the big jam on, and the wasps came in, and they came to the jam, and then the next big thing, just... Maybe it was that big. I don't know. But these are, they do seem to be really large pieces of bread. But they're waved, so they're that big. Maybe they had all the priests stand up with them and wave it. I don't know what's going on. But, but this is, yeah, this is how the wave got started. And so, so we see how Gaul... You have to stand up to hold the, the bread. It's a mosh pit for the priests as they're... Okay. So there it is. It, it was very spiritual, and and uh, and um, yeah. So it's baked with yeast, leavened bread, accompanied praise fellowship offerings, uh, and so it's not necessarily out of place for this occasion of Thanksgiving uh, to have leavened bread. The other thing that's interesting here is that leavened bread is a staple food. This, that's what they normally ate every every day. So in a way, they're giving thanks for their daily bread. Large thanks for the daily, but, but still they're giving thanks for what they, they eat daily. Uh, it seems to be a, a form of expression of thanksgiving for that. So although, um, although the priests presented it to the Lord, they received it again, they received it back. What else are they to offer? What else do they offer here? It's not just bread. Animals. How many? Good grief. Seven lambs. These are a ton of animals are to offer. A lot of bread. You make good barbecue. Um, so there, these this number of animals would be very expensive for any one fa- any one typical family to do. So the thought here is that it's done by community. 
they, they all get together and offer these. It's a communal offering. Um, but look what, they, but look what they, they had here. They had a full range of offerings here. They have atonement through the burnt offering and sin offering. They had worship and praise through the burnt offering. And they, had to, they, had to, they celebrated the covenant fellowship through the peace offering. So they go through the full range of sacrificial system meaning here. And then we get to verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. What in the world? Why is that there? Socialistic. A socialistic government. Why is that there? <laughs> so that he's setting up Ruth. Okay, that makes sense. It's eerie, isn't it? It's provision. What does that say? They're celebrating God's faithfulness and provision, faithfulness in providing for them harvest, crops to harvest, the ability to work in the harvest, the men and, and, and families available to go out into the fields and bring all this in for the community. What does this say? Yeah. So they've already given to the Lord, they've acknowledged that what you have given us is actually yours. We've given back the first portion as you've asked. Right. And the Lord's also saying, leave some, leave some of what I've given you for others. And so it's it's just sharing what the Lord has given you with others that are in need by not taking it all for yourself. And what does that display to 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 the world around them? The character of God, right? God is gracious to us. He's abundant in his mercy. He has redeemed us. He provides for us, and He is faithful to see the harvest come in. And so I want to reflect that by not taking up every scrap of everything. I want the, the poor to also benefit from that. Those who are not um, in an economic place that's comfortable, who are hungry, they need to be able to, 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 to get that somehow. So God makes provision for that, again, in His grace, expressed through the actions of his people, the culture of his people. It should be their culture, <laughs> this gracious um, gracious giving. Yeah. It also makes provision for the sojourner. And we are sojourners. We're not Israelites. Right. And so it's, it's I think, foreshadow or planning of the Gentile harvest as well. Sure. Sure. It, it, it promotes humility, too, because ah. he says in other places... For you were once strangers mm -hmm. in the land. Yeah. So it's like, remember how you got here. Right. You know, and that I'm gracious to you. Okay, be gracious to others. Right. And doesn't it also call for more trust in the provision of God? I need that corner. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I got. I got to use that. Um, and yet He calls them to trust Him even more when it's hard to do so sometimes. All right. The Passover and unleavened bread celebrated the Lord's deliverance from the old land. The offerings of first fruits and the festival of weeks celebrated his provision in the new land. And in the new land, they weren't to go seek out shiny things to trust the pagan gods. They were to continue to rely upon him, continue to trust him as their provider. 
The Lord delivered them from the land of slavery and would provide for their needs in the land of promise. We're going to see this in, in uh, we've seen it a little bit already in Exodus, but we're going to see it in, when we get to Numbers, um, low those many moons from now. When the Israelites forgot the character of their covenant king, they grumbled and they disobeyed. They grum- Again, completely unrelated to the New Testament. They grumbled and disobeyed when they forgot the character of who God is. And God provides constant and gracious reminders of His character and actions during these holy times. Here's a physical representation. Here's a time for you to take aside and, and rest and trust uh, the, the character of God. He was a redeemer, He's a provider, and He's faithful. There's the weekly reminder of His covenant and annual reminders of His redemption and provision. The point is that these were to help the people remember His power and grace and enable them to respond with dependence, obedience, and thankful worship. And here's the key point that, that, that hit me. They weren't to do this alone. They weren't to do this alone. Each of these holy times is a holy gathering. We are called as individuals, but we're called into a body. He does not call us simply to follow Him, but to join His family and therefore to be active family members. Um, if the kids stay in their rooms the whole time, Tammy and I are feverishly trying to actually clean the house, they are not being active family members, right? Everybody has their part, and as your family grows, the burden lessens if everybody's active Supposedly, if you're Nathaniel, supposedly. Look at Hebrews 10. I love the fact that in the providence of God, we hit this portion of Leviticus after we hit this portion of Hebrews on Wednesday. Let's read through this real quick. And I won't go through the whole Hebrews thing again, but I do want to pull out a few things. Verse 19, Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers... Who are they again? Brothers. What does that mean? It means family, right? Brothers. By adoption. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, basically, chapters 1 through 10... Uh, 18 is all about the high priest, his provision, the completion of his work, the, 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 um, the provision he's made for us in Jesus. That's the whole thing. Then he, he draws out three things. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And what we talked about on Wednesday was that it takes a true heart. Not a false heart. A true heart. And two things are happening. One is your, your, your hearts are being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. And we talked about that being renewed within leads to actions without. And so what we, what we're, as we're changing on the inside, our bodies are being displayed being washed with pure water. 
And then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We hold fast to the confession of our hope because he's faithful. Again, there's that faithfulness. Because of his redemption, we're being cleaned from an evil conscience and our bodies are being washed. Because of his faithfulness, we hold fast. We're consistent with the confession of our hope without wavering. And then verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And here, and here's where we land. You got three things that he's saying for us to do, the author of Hebrews, Apollos. First, draw near with a true heart. That's personal devotion, right? That's personal. Second, hold fast the confession of our hope. That's the new land, the resurrection. There's consistency that's being called there. And their basis for that is because of God's consistency, for he who promised is faithful. And then he says the third thing, consider how to stir one another up. That's a social obligation that we have toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says consider it. Not just do it. Think about it. Why would he tell us to think about it? Why would he say consider it? It's a matter of the heart. It's not just some action that we do as a completion. Does it come natural? No. No. And in order to be able to consider how to stir up each other, you've got to know where people are being stagnant. Right? How does that happen if we're never together, if we're never thinking about each other, we're not living life together? How does that happen? And that gets harder and harder in our culture. Especially a church like Slovenia, which is a kind of a commuter church. We're all coming from all over the place. It's difficult to do that. So it takes even more work to consider, to think through. What are they going through? What do they need? How can I stir them up? And he has a great suggestion. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. There's that holy convocation idea again. It's the idea of regular, systematic gathering on the Lord's day. And the reason is it's hard to stir up if you don't have the opportunity. If you're not committed to coming together, and I'm not grabbing you, you're here. And I'm not grabbing those who aren't necessarily. I'm just saying, if we're not, yeah, I am. If, I'm not, if we're not coming together, then we don't have, we don't have a forced opportunity to, to consider what's going on with you. How can I help? How can I pray for you? What? Facebook is not a substitute for that. It's a good tool, but it's not a substitute for that. And we do this all the more as the day approaches. What day? The second return of Christ when He comes for us, not in judgment, but in mercy. There's the hope, right? Coming in mercy. There should be an increased intensity to our wanting to be together. All right. We're running long. Yes, we are. Okay. Any any questions? Um, any questions? None. I will pray, and we'll be done. Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to stir up one another to good works, to remember, to be refreshed, to rejoice in what you've done for us in Jesus. I pray that you continue that time with us uh, this morning as we go into the main service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.